You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with a goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. The big thing with me comes from customers asking us to do things that are outside the scope of our expertise. Sometimes we get customers that'll ask us to do certain types of projects for them, or if we can obviously misapply products or use products in a format or a way that just aren't according to the label. All of those types of scenarios scream liability in my mind, right? And if the customer's satisfaction relies on us doing services in a way that they shouldn't be done. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm Alan Draper. I've got my main man, Eric Bassett, here with me today. What's going on, Eric? Hey, Alan. Not too much. We just finished up with our Facebook live Q&A, which was awesome. So my brain is primed. I am ready for some Bug Bucks content. Awesome. Yeah, it was a little difficult making it on there. I mean, everything seemed to be going so well, but then people couldn't hear you. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) probably need to hear what Eric's saying. So we got it figured out. And I think we're going to be trying to do more live interactive videos on Facebook just to get that immediate, you know, I want to know what's at the top of the PCO's head. What are they facing today? If they had me sitting right next to them, what would they ask me? What would they ask you, Eric? And kind of, I think we add a lot of value. Even if we don't know the answer, we can start a lot of times just asking them questions. When they ask us a question, just start asking questions to them and see where their their mind is. That being said, make sure if you're not a member of our Bug Bucks group and people are still trickling in every day, we get new members. Make sure to join Bug Bucks, B-U-G-B-U-X on Facebook. Lots of great conversations in there. We're talking pest control and we're talking building your pest control company. That's, that's our focus is how are we going to help you build your pest control company and allow you to take it to the next level. So we're going to kind of continue where we left off, Eric, and that was with some of these questions that were asked. And the good and bad of it is it's not one continuous topic that we're going to cover for today's episode. We're going to answer a few questions. I think we're going to focus on three that were asked during the live video that we weren't able to get to and dive a little deeper into those and see where it takes us. That sounds good to me. Let's do it. All right. So first question is, at what point is a customer too much of a liability? And we're going to have to make some assumptions into this question that one of my good buddies asked, Mr. Lopez. At what point is a customer too much of a liability? The big thing with me comes from customers asking us to do things that are outside the scope of our expertise. Sometimes we get customers that'll ask us to do certain types of projects for them, or if we can obviously misapply products or use products in a format or a way that just aren't according to the label. All of those types of scenarios scream liability in my mind, right? And if the customer's satisfaction relies on us doing services in a way that they shouldn't be done, then that's not worth it to me. And I know that no other pest control company, I mean, no other pest control company should be doing it that way. Mm -hmm. So I can probably call their bluff in that kind of scenario. But that's one of the things I just know it's going to set up bad expectations. And then our customer service staff is going to be confused whenever they call in. And then the next technician is going to be confused. And it just sets up this whole bad process. So 
outside the scope or misapplying products or services is going to be my my big thing. What do you think, Alan? I think there's a couple of things where you put your foot in the ground and you don't move it. You plant it in the ground and you pick one or two or three things. And I think you hit the nail on the head with one of them, misapplying, overapplying products. And I think that covers quite a few things. Them trying to grab the sprayer from us, do it themselves, <laughs> them looking mm-hmm. like trying to mix it themselves. And I haven't had a situation like that, but I've been really close. I think I've had a customer try to take this out of my hand saying that they want to do it, which, hey, if you want to do it on your own, that's fine. But not while I'm here, I'm the professional. You need to have that attitude. But yeah, I think that is a good foot planting in the ground spot. I think another is abuse of your people. Yes, 100%. And I've heard stories about, especially with door-to-door, potential customers getting physical. But mostly I'm talking about just the emotional and verbal abuse. I can't believe some of the stuff I've heard my CSRs handle. So I think that would be another thing. And I don't know if that falls into liability. It could, because if you, especially depending on how vulgar or how abusive the things that customers say to people, if you don't do something about it, the employee might leave and then talk to an attorney and say, hey, how are you allowing this type of even sexual abuse? Maybe the customer said something about somebody's gender or whatever mm-hmm. that you have to be careful about. I had a, I don't know if I've shared this, but I did on my Instagram, I shared it. I shared a screenshot of the email out of the blue. And I haven't, I haven't really spoken to a customer on the phone for probably four or five years. And I don't mind doing it, but it's just not really in our systems and processes. But I randomly got an email. The subject said, call me and then phone number, Chicago phone number. And then in the body of the email, it said, you suck. Your company sucks. Call me. And I get spammed a lot. I think a lot of us do. All of us do. And I get spammed a lot from B2B people. Mm -hmm. Every single day, I get you know 50 emails from people saying, hey, I can help your business grow. And my first thought was, because I'd never heard from this customer before, I don't really get emails from customers. My first thought was, oh, this is like a marketer saying, hey, your company sucks, (laughs) I'm going to help it. But I called it and it was just a regular person, dude named Greg, I think. And Greg's like, hello? I'm like, yeah, my name's Alan. I just got an email from you. Was it spam? That's what I said to him. And he's like, no, it, it wasn't. And he told me about his frustrations and whatever. And we got it figured out. But then I told him, I'm like, please don't talk to anyone at my company like that. Please don't talk to anyone like that. And you know what he said? He's like, well, it got a phone call from you. And I responded to him. Yeah, but if you said you had an issue with a service, you would have also gotten a phone call from me about that. Yep. That's not the worst that I've heard over the years. But yeah, abuse, I think, is another really good place to plant your foot. And then the third thing, and I don't know if this is really liability. I guess it comes down to financial liability. Customers have to pay you. Yes. They have to pay you. And I think the question goes a little bit to like, hey, when can I fire a customer? Because we all want to do it. But it should be rare, folks. If you find yourself every day talking to somebody, and you're like, I don't want to do business with them. The change needs to happen with you. It should be very rare. But I think it's okay to have, you know, a few things that you planned so that you know when it happens. And you can be 
as long as you're a cool, calm, and collected, it's not emotional. You're like, hey, we don't allow people to speak to our CSRs or our employees like that. So, and I've done that. I've called people and said, you can't talk to us like that. I'm happy to refund your money. I don't want it. You're going to need to find another pest control company. And when you go to bat for an employee like that, when you choose your employee over a customer, that really opens their eyes. That is the yes. exact way it should be. I always say, I take care of my people. My people take care of my customers. My customers take care of me. That's the right order. So I know I got off a little bit on a tangent, <laughs> but you shouldn't. Am I right, Eric? You shouldn't be oh. looking to fire a customer, you know, one out of 10 or something. That's something's, something's no. going on there. I mean, in a lot of situations, you know, even if when you're talking about like, you should have a process in place for when customers don't pay you, right? You know, whether that's a process where however many days, you know, you send out different notices, you call, mm -hmm. you text, you email, maybe they go to collections, right? And then you keep mm -hmm. the conversation open. And that whole process should be there already. That way, it's kind of automated, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing I was going to mention too, is sometimes customers will call you. And the reason they're calling you so upset is because of other things happening that day. And I'm not saying that it's an excuse for them to belittle your customer service or say things that are inappropriate, but everybody has a bad day. Mm -hmm. So exactly. you really have to kind of calm down for a second and think, okay, is this customer having a bad day or is this customer likely to continue abusing my staff? Mm -hmm. Right. And then you have to be able to tell them, Hey, that's not okay. Right. If that's the way you want to talk to like pest control company, you can pick a different company and then whatever they decide to do is whatever they decide. One other quick thing I was just going to mention for customers that have kind of a high liability. And these are tough because the big ticket stuff, we're talking termites, bed bugs, maybe roaches, and some other things. Stuff that includes prep work, right? Where customer has to take certain steps to make sure that that service is actually going to work. If those customers can't make those steps happen, Mm. Or if their prep work is bad, or if every time you show up, they're like, oh, yeah, so sorry, I just couldn't do this. And you're like putting in extra work. And now the service isn't going to happen. And you're still doing it, even though it doesn't have a warranty or whatever the situation is. Dude, just walk away. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm telling you right now, that will go to collections, you know, like, it's just, in my experience, not a very good time. So kind of like a fool me once, fool me twice. I always give customers a second chance if they don't do their prep work. If they can't get their prep work done the second time around, I'm like, hey, I don't think this is going to work. 100%. That's a great point. And in some cases, especially rodent infestations, some of those mm -hmm. specialty pests like bed bugs, they have to pull their weight. You're not going to be yes. able to bomb their house enough so that they don't need to pull their weight. So that's that's a really good point. Let's move on to question number two. What's the best way to build relationships and camaraderie between third-party door-to-door reps and the techs working with them? That's from Shane Mance. Great question. So what's the best way to build relationships and camaraderie between third-party door-to-door reps and the techs working with them? I'm assuming, Eric, that he means they're hiring a third-party marketing company. Mm -hmm. And how do you get them to work within your system? Take that. Run with it. Man, I love this question because it's actually really hard to maintain camaraderie and have a good relationship, even if it's not a third party 
door to door company. You know what I mean? Like exactly. We've struggled with our own guys that come into our office every day that have relationships with us that see those technicians. The tough thing is, is that these technicians are bending over backwards trying to get some of this stuff serviced, you know, and not every door to door sale is the most solid thing on the planet. So you can feel the tension sometimes. It's it's palpable. It's tangible between a door team and a technician team. When you add the third-party marketing team aspect in there, it's even more magnified. So with a lot of those situations, whether it's just department to department or third-party vendors, do an event, man. Get those guys out of that exactly. kind of environment. Get them together doing something fun. Let them talk to each other. Let them understand that that's just a hardworking person, right? Just like me. And they're not meaning me any ill will trying to get me to you know bend over backwards for nothing, right? Get them together. Get them to do something cool. That's that's what I would say. So my two thoughts were one, who, and two, why. And you answered the who part. Make sure that they know who they're working with. And there is a face and a story and a relationship behind the name. And this sounds super cheesy, but it's it's a lot easier to be rude to, you know, a telemarketer than it is to be rude to somebody at your gym or somebody that you see regularly. It's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So make sure that that they get to know each other. That was one of my big mistakes that I've made with our own door-to-door teams was they were never together by the time the reps came in for correlation, whether it was in the office or at their apartments, the techs were already on their routes. So make sure that there's that who connection and then the why connection is my second thought. And that is make sure that both sides, this goes both ways. So Shane is looking at it from probably most exclusively from the door-to-door rep side, right? Because that's not the side that he controls, but it's a two-way street because those reps are going to want to make sure that the techs are doing what's in the notes. They're doing the service that they were asked to do or that the protocol, as far as the door-to-door reps understand it. And there does need to be this ongoing feedback. So that would probably be my third point. But going back to the why, both sides need to understand why something's done. My techs do not get on ladders without a branch manager Mm -hmm. approval and supervisor present. I cannot stand ladders because they're so dangerous. So I need to tell the door-to-door reps that. It's my job. So Shane, it's your job to explain the why so that... When a customer asks a door-to-door rep, hey, can you have the tech go on the roof and just inspect around the chimney because I have some, I've had a wasp nest up there, which certainly that that happens. But the rep needs to be on the same page and needs to understand the why for that not happening without branch manager approval, whatever the protocol is. So that as opposed to just saying, yeah, no, the techs are not very good, which would be just them shooting themselves in the foot with the cell in the first place. They can say, you know what? Safety of our technicians is one of our number one priorities. And then go through that with the customer. Now, as opposed to going around the roof, we do guarantee that service. So what we're going to do is X, Y, Z instead. We're going to have both feet on the ground and we're going to extend our duster pole to 25 feet or whatever. So understanding the why on both sides. Hey, why why is the door-to-door guy scheduling same day service or why is he only scheduling this technician or whatever so make sure that communication's there and then the feedback piece right going back mm-hmm. and forth being okay when something happens there's a miscommunication and being 
able to pull both parties together and just sit down and and chat it out. Emotions fly with third-party door-to-door teams. They're very expensive. They demand a lot. I've seen a lot of deals go bad, Eric, that shouldn't have. I've been the beneficiary of a third-party door-to-door team that I wasn't supposed to get, but halfway through the summer, there became irreconcilable differences with them and the other pest control company. And I think if if you focus on those three things, you hit the who really well. We talked about the why, why is the service as it is, and then the ongoing feedback. I think that will help a lot in Shane's case and just being able to understand and communicate with them. So Shane doesn't have that situation that affected me a couple of years ago where they just midsummer just left. Yeesh. Yikes. It's not good for anybody. All right, let's hit the third question. What is the revenue per tech that you are shooting for? There's a this is a loaded question. There's a lot of variables here. Is this <laughs> first off, Eric, is this something that you guys at Natura focus on? If not, that's perfectly fine. I I know some companies do, some companies don't. And if it is, give me some of your thoughts about that. So Natura doesn't really focus on this a whole lot. And this metric kind of reminds me of a lot of metrics you're going to see in like a PL, right? Where it's good to know, it's even better to compare month to month, year to year. So when we talk about like revenue per technician, something that's a little bit tricky for us is that we bill monthly. And so we've disconnected the service with how customers are billed. Yeah. But even if I were to do the math and kind of take a look at, okay, I expect this many services on average per technician. And on average, if I take those the customer value and divide it by the number of treatments that we do over the course of a year, I can get that fact and figure, right? Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is, is that if I were to look at, for example, another easy way to do it is, you know, you take your gross revenue over the course of the entire year, divide it by the average technicians that you have over the course mm-hmm. of that year. And Mm -hmm. bada bing, bada boom, you got the number. But looking at that doesn't exactly tell you a whole lot unless you compare to either another company that's similar to you, that's doing a similar service to you, or you compare year over year and you can see that revenue per technician either grow or decline. So is there a key amount per year? I've heard numbers like 250,000 a year, 300,000 a year, 350,000 a year. But it depends on what types of services your your guys are doing mm-hmm. and how many, right? Just like you said, you know, my favorite answer to these types of questions is it depends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think it, it's kind of a funny metric, and I think it can be very useful. And it was Gary. So thanks for that question, Gary. Great question, and I think it really comes down to. What are the metrics that your company is is focused on? And I've talked about this before, but remember the hedgehog concept. It, it has kind of a weird name, but it comes from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. And he says, your business, and he's kind of talking about the great companies as they've performed on the stock market. He took like these sample companies and he found out that the great companies had a hedgehog concept. And what that was is they focused on one thing that was the intersection of three criteria. One, it's something that that company could be the best in the world at. Two, it was something that drove that company's economic engine. And three, it was something that they were deeply passionate about. And so if Mm -hmm. this is your thing, that's okay, run with it. Here's my caveat. 
A lot of people assign this responsibility to the service side or the technician. I think it's more of a marketing and sales ratio. If you think about it. Yeah. Now, I do understand the implications of the service side. If I can add one service a day to my tech because my routing's tighter, because my trucks are operating efficiently, because my techs are on time to their stops and they're efficient with their time, obviously that's going to increase the availability that I have per tech. But for us, I've just done some quick math in, in my head. And depending on the service type, there's two big things, the service type and the contract value. Mm-hmm. We're in the low 300s. It's not something that we necessarily focus on. The cool thing about it, which I understand where Gary's coming from, is when you increase that, let's say that mine's right around 300 in most of my marks, not all of them. And if if I could bump that to 310, I'm going to have some variable costs that might be impacted. I'm going to use more product. I'm going to use more fuel. But mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. My fixed costs are going to be the same. And so a lot of that's going to trickle down to the bottom line. That's the cool thing about it. But kind of going back to where I started, I think it has more to do with your sales and your your marketing team than it has to do with your service team. Yeah, you know, and it's another one of those things that I I worry a little bit about when people compare those kinds of numbers because they don't always correlate with profitability or mm-hmm. growth or mm-hmm. sustainability. Like if I have a company that says, oh, our revenue per tech is like 500,000 or 400,000 a year, that sounds awesome. But is that sustainable? Does that mean that we're doing services too quickly, right? There's a lot of questions that come into play when it when that happens. It's like when somebody asks me what a good cost per lead is, or they give me a really low number. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, does that mean that you're only limiting yourself to certain lead avenues, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things and I kind of come full circle, kind of like you did. You have to understand why that number is what it is mm-hmm. and what correlates in there and go from what's most effective for your business and kind of all those poor philosophies, customer satisfaction, service efficacy, technician longevity, you know, employee engagement, all those other things. And then look at those other lag measures secondarily. This is my concluding thought. You bring up a really good point. It made me think of this. When we're talking about macro numbers, like a gross revenue or a revenue per truck or a gross profit margin, I think they're great starting points. I think they're great goals to have because they're they're large, they're easy to understand, and they're easily accessible. It's easy to figure out mm-hmm. what they are. It's a lot more difficult to find out what the cost per click was for the spider ad campaign in the second week of September in a specific market, right? Yep. So Mm -hmm. if you take that into context, just like you were saying, you take those macro numbers into context and you know, hey, we're going to use these because we're running campaigns with our technicians and we have a team of a technician matched with a sales rep. We want to encourage contract value. We want to encourage efficiency on this, that, or the other. And you understand the implications and you understand that correlation isn't always causation. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's no problem with it. If you, As long as you take that back to the hedgehog concept, make sure that it's actually producing value for your company like you were talking about. Like, hey, let's 
and that you're not trying to push it at all costs. Yeah, hey, I'm going to run my technicians into the ground, but by heck, I'm going to have a higher <laughs> gross revenue per truck. So if you take those things into account, I think it could really help and it can definitely help you understand your numbers. So great point. 100%. We got to three questions today, kind of a little bit all over the place. And I'm going to invite you join our Facebook group, Bug Bucks, B-U-G-B-U-X, and go check out that live Facebook. We're going to leave it up there for a little bit. And in that video, we we answered another door-to-door question. So today we talked about door-to-door and working with marketing teams. We talked about liabilities that c- customers can impose on a company. And, and then we kind of wrapped it up with this idea of what a gross revenue per truck should be. So another great episode in the books. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thanks for our listeners for supporting us. We appreciate the feedback. We appreciate the questions. And we're happy to help any way we can. So, you know, keep them coming, reach out to us individually, reach out to us through our Bug Bucks group, and we'll help as many people as we can. And until next time, keep building those pest control companies, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bucks podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you. And we'll catch you on next week's episode. 